Boom. What's up, everyone? Hope y'all are having a wonderful day. Coach D here, The Shift Method. And I got another great guest for all of you today. If you can believe it, this is going to be the 18th episode of The Shift Method podcast. Trying to pump these out weekly for y'all. So we're just going to keep the content rolling. But with me, another good friend. We haven't actually spoken in a while. So this is my excuse of an opportunity to do some catching up, getting to see how they're doing in life. And that is Aubrey. Aubrey, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the people? Yeah. Um, well, my name is Aubrey. Um, Damien and I went to FAU together, undergrad, um, got my bachelor's degree in exercise science, and then went back for a master's degree in exercise physiology. I've been a personal trainer, did a little bit of group fitness instructing, doing a little bit of online coaching now. So, yeah. Very, very cool. Remind me, which formats? Were you a hit strength kind of format? Yeah, hit and strength. Which would you say is your favorite? I think I liked hit. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, but you were my mentor for strength. And yes. I had dropped yes, that's right. because I thought it was so boring. Yes. I think we did. Did we do one or two? I think we did like one class. Yes, I remember. <laughs> so hit is my favorite. There you go. Good to know. But I ended up having to teach strength classes like in grad school. I ended up having to teach like lower and upper body and stuff. So I never gotcha. got away from it. Did you end up just turning your strength classes into pseudo hit based classes where it was like high volume, low, re low rest period, all that stuff? Um, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm just here to do the straight class. Exactly. This is my style, but we're going to make it work. <laughs> all good. All good. So, yeah. So we're going to talk about some cool things today. We're going to kind of go over Aubrey's background because she is still in kind of the personal training realm, which is cool. Not everyone stays with it after school. So it's cool to see that perspective and how she got there. Also going to talk about something really important, which is GA positions uh, for all my young aspiring students, whether you're in the major or not. Of course, we are going to focus on exercise science specifically, but kind of just giving an outline of like what the GA process kind of looks like. So y'all can kind of get a head start on that. If grad school is something that you may be interested in. And then lastly, we're going to do what kind of makes Aubrey and I friends. I think what kind of like keeps us in contact and that is busting some fitness bullshit. Talking about some myths, we picked our three top, uh, top myths that we got right now that we could think of. And we're going to kind of break those down and have some fun with them. So yeah, I always like to do this, you know, talk to people. And it's been a long time since we've kind of gone over this. So, Aubrey, can you kind of just go over like what your fitness background is, like how you got into fitness in general? Yeah. So in high school, maybe like first two years of undergrad, I was mainly just running, like distance running, doing hit workouts, so mainly cardio. And I really started to not like running anymore. Like the more I did it, the more I felt like a chore, the less mileage I was doing. And so after taking a weight training class in um, school, I was like, oh, let me get into strength training. And it honestly became about just, I guess, learning the movements. I wasn't really passionate about it. And then once I started getting stronger and climbing up in weight, I was like, oh, this is really fun. Yeah. So strength training for like the past four or five years has been my main mode of exercise, my favorite mode of exercise. Um, I absolutely love it. Try to make everyone do it. I love it. I love it. It's as if when exercise is a chore, people are less likely to do it. Is absolutely. there some merit in that? <laughs> absolutely. Yep. I mean, I started when running felt like a chore 
I was doing it less and less and I eventually stopped and I hated it. So yeah, I'm not going to stick with something that you don't like. Why would you do something you don't like? Yeah. That's one of the, this is just an anecdotal. So a little asterisk on this one, but growing up, that was one of the biggest complaints I heard from friends, even ones that were like really competitive in a sport and like, were really good, like potentially college offers or, you know, taking it to that next level is that they lost the love of the game mm-hmm. because it felt, and I know at times in your sport or your job, like it does feel like a job or a chore. There's, there's days like that, but they're like, I dread going to practice. I don't want to play, but I've invested so much of my life and energy into it. And I'm this close to a potential, you know, beneficial part of my life. If I participate in the sport, I'm just going to have to do it. And I'm like, that's so, I hate to hear that, you know? Yeah, it it is sad to hear because you know that in the long run, it's not really going to provide a benefit for the person because they're not passionate about it. Right. And unless you're a professional athlete, a lot of time. Right. And unless you're like a professional athlete, but I would gamble to say, although I haven't talked to many pros, but I'd gamble to say most of them are like in love and addicted to the game for the most part. Yeah. They say like, usually that's when you leave is when like you start like not wanting to go to practice and not wanting to like play anymore. So yeah, that was always tough to hear, but it's cool that you got into weight training. Cause I kind of, that's how I got into weight training a little bit too, is, you know, growing up, did some calisthenics, went to the gym, like randomly as a kid, you know, nothing serious. But then in high school, I started meeting some friends and I actually had a weight training class as well. That really taught me like some basic principles of lifting. So right. That, that can definitely have a huge impact on, you know, people's development. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So you kind of start getting into lifting. You're seeing some gains. What made you want to go into exercise science as a profession? Is this something you knew growing up because you were always active or how did that kind of come about? Um, I honestly feel like it was random. When I got into FAU, I actually got in as a nursing major into the nursing program Um, And the summer before I started, I knew I didn't want to do that. And so like the next easiest thing was for me to just do exercise science. And so I kind of fell into it that way. But obviously, as I got through the classes in the major, I really enjoyed what I was learning. And I really like wanted to be a part of like that industry and that profession. What was it about the coursework that started sparking like that passion and that interest in you? What did, is there anything specifically where like a light bulb went off or what was it? I think it was this, I would say maybe the science classes being good at them. Like I never really experienced that beforehand. Like just being that's a good, good feeling. at something. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of like, maybe I was feeding my ego a little bit. Like, damn, <laughs> I, got, I got the highest grade on this biology test. Like, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I and, think that definitely like fed me going deeper and deeper into it. Yeah. And that isn't uncommon because up until you start getting into your serious coursework, at least at FAU, the classes are very similar, right? You've got to take your anatomy, you got to take your psychology. So I assume the transition was pretty smooth for you to go right into exercise science, right? Yeah, it, it was. Um, exercise physiology, obviously that class always kicks everyone and it kicked mm-hmm. me. First test got me. And after that, I was like, I'm not going down like this. So I ended up finishing really well, but I feel like it was a seamless um, transition. Even into grad school, I feel like it was a seamless transition as well. Yeah, I, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, your grad program was exercise physiology 
was like the concentration, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say our school specifically, like we have a phenomenal program at FAU, but I would say it's tailored to, if I had to like say it's like it targets these areas, I would say probably ex-phys and like Kines. Sure. So like if yeah. you go any direction, like you're going to be fine with what coursework you got. Yes, for sure. Love it. Love it. Now, okay. So you're in the major, you're enjoying the coursework, getting some, you know, positive feedback, right? You're like, I'm killing these. I got these tests down. I feel like I'm in the right place. What made you then want to decide to be a personal trainer? Um, I felt like I should leave school with some sort of, one, some sort of certification and two, some sort of backup plan. So like, you know, everyone in our, in undergrad, they want to go like PT school or OT school. Like that is PA school. That's Mm -hmm. the plan of action. And so I was like, well, if I don't decide to go that route, like what am I going to do with this degree? And so I went for my personal training certification, got hired at the rec. And then I really started to like what I was doing. Um, especially like I felt myself also being invested in my clients' goals, like just as invested as them and celebrating their wins with them, like being excited with them. And so I realized like that is what it feels like to have a passion for something. And I felt like, well, I found my passion. Let me just ride this one out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, all those great things I always talk about here, you know, helping other people, you know, building a community or or a reputation for yourself, but especially for like what we're going to talk about a little bit, like GA positions and job, it's a really good way to get experience and get that on your resume to help you with that GA position or help you with that job before you even get that degree. Cause we could have easily just, you know, there's a lot of opportunities, but you could have easily just gotten your degree and then been like, all right, I guess I'll try and get to the job field somehow. And that might've been a lot harder, you know? Yeah. FAU definitely gives those opportunities. Yeah, I think too. Uh, okay, so being a personal trainer at some point, especially earlier in your career, can be very unstable and you don't really know what to expect out of the career versus going on to physical therapy, occupational therapy, PA school, whatever. Like that's very direct and you know what you're going to get from that. And so it does take is a bit a big risk to be like well I'm gonna pursue this route because I like it I'm passionate about it I'm good at it versus going maybe where a majority of people tend to go with exercise science yeah yeah absolutely now with the personal training side of things remind me are you training out of is it Boca House of Steel no raw fitness raw fitness okay you train you train out of Boca House of Steel right just for your own I like I just work out there gotcha 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 And now was raw fitness something that you did when you got into grad school or after you got out of grad school that you could kind of got, you started doing? No, out of grad school, I kind of just took the first job that I got. And I honestly didn't enjoy that job. It was a franchise. You have to stick to a certain set of rules. I, I was still personal training, but you have to stick to like that franchise's vision and um, rules and I didn't enjoy that at all. Um, but like we were talking about before, I live on my own, got to pay the rent. So I kind of yeah. stuck it out. And then Raw Fitness unex- unexpectedly came along. And that 
was such an upgrade, first of all, from where I was working before, um, very autonomous. It's like me as a personal trainer and I get to train people the way that I want to train people. And I feel like I'm compensated really well for that as well. So I feel like um, I paid my dues. I was working a lot, working at that franchise. I was doing home training as well, which was so time consuming. I can't really enjoy that. I don't know if yeah. you've ever done like house calls before. Have you? I've trained at people's house, but not a house call. You mean like you're oh. on demand kind of? No, you just go to people's house and you okay, train. Yes, I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't <laughs> it can, it can get a lot with like the driving from place to place for sure. Exactly. It's like you got to be in Boca and you got to be in Fort Lauderdale. Like doing that can definitely be a lot. Supposed like this is your location. For sure. Yeah. So I was glad to be done with that. Moving on to, I feel like the height, I feel like I'm in the height or the climax of my career right now, which feels good. That's awesome, man. Now at this place, Raw Fitness, is it strictly personal training or do you do any like group fitness or anything else there? Yeah. So personal training, I also teach a couple classes. I teach a strength class and I also teach like a buns and guns type of class working on arms and glutes. Wait, wait, did you just say you are teaching a strength class? I am. I am. <laughs> See? <laughs> See, uh, it comes full circle. Full circle. I love how that works. Oh man, that's great. That is great. I'm gonna put quotes on I that one. Highlight that one. On I don't know. <laughs> not that one. Oh man. No, but that's cool though. Because yeah, group fitness is always one of those things. Like, I always say, it's easier to go from training to group fitness than the other way around. Yes. And I think it's also this is a good repertoire to have because like at some point you'll probably do like buddy or small group training, so you have like that experience can play into that. It's good extra income. And it's a really good way to help just work with a lot of people at once instead of, sure. and some people don't need it. Yeah. Exactly. Some people don't need like the individualized attention for 60 minutes. They just want to have fun and they want to get active with their friends. So that's exactly. really cool. Yep. And is that, is, Ra, is that in Boca? Yes, in Boca. Gotcha. Very cool. I'm going to stop by there one day. Actually, I've, I haven't heard of them until I started seeing you posting about them. So I'm going to have to check that out sometime. Yeah, check it out. Heck yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> now, this is something I always like to ask because it's such a, it's such a, to me, it's very cool to hear people's responses and maybe how it's changed over time. So if you had to kind of sum it up, you know, real nice, put a little bow on it, two or three sentences, how would you, or what would you say is your fitness <laughs> philosophy? It's extremely simple. It's lift weights, eat food, and have fun doing it. <laughs> that is my fitness philosophy. I love tap that metallics curse it however you want to do it. That is awesome. That is awesome. That's all that I ask of my clients, people I train, people I get fitness advice to. Do you like it? Is it working for you? Yes. That's your plan. Isn't that your Instagram handle? Lift weights and eat yeah, food. Yeah, lift weights and eat food. <laughs> I love it. See, there you go. The philosophy is the handle. She can't forget it right there. <laughs> That is, no, I like that though. I like this because just like to me, and again, I'm going to say this to people time and time again, like the planning between these podcasts, between our collaboration is minimal. Like I didn't know what Aubrey's, you know, philosophy was until I just asked her right now. I love how that plays into like the reality for, you know, 99% of the population. Yeah. Find what's fun for you. Do you enjoy it? Does it make you feel good? And then like, enjoy and eat. Exactly. Like telling people you have to lift six days a week, do four days of conditioning, track your macros, this, 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 and this. Number one, most fitness people don't do all those things perfectly exactly. all the time. 
Yeah. Number two, that's unrealistic for other people's lives. We are lucky we get to be in a gym, you know, yeah. eight to 10 hours a day, sometimes yeah. more. Other people don't have that luxury and maybe they don't want to do that. Maybe their life doesn't revolve around that. We're just here right. to make sure y'all get like the bare minimum, at least in a way that's fun and engaging to you and that you can enjoy the parts of, you know, eating that's important because food is social. Right. So I, I love that you make that point. Yes. Food is very social. Um, I think I see a lot of food is fuel. Food is meant to like food as a job. No, food is very social. When you meet friends for brunch, you meet friends for dinner, you go out to drinks, like food is very social. And so I think it's important to be able to incorporate that into people's fitness journeys. Like don't cut it out. How can you incorporate that into their fitness journey? Same thing with food. Like I tell people, if it's not sustainable, it's probably not a good idea, you know, yeah. given extreme examples like sports and you know, competition, whatever it may be. Right. But, you know, if you're going on this diet, right. And you lose 10 pounds, but then you're like, I can't eat 20 cans of tuna fish every day for the rest of my <laughs> life. Well, how's that going to pan out in the long run? Exactly. Right? So enjoyment, you know, that's one of my biggest tenets, which is cool that we align on that. Like if you aren't enjoying it, you won't adhere to it. If you don't adhere to it, you're not going to reap the benefits long-term. And if you don't reap the benefits long-term, it just keeps happening again and again. Exactly. Yep. I love that so much. Now, was that always your philosophy or did you have one in the past that kind of stuck with you? Like has it changed over time? Um, to be honest with you, I feel like in the beginning of my personal trainer career, I wasn't really, I don't know. I feel like I was young and I was new and I was just trying to like be a good trainer and learn and like get clients. I feel like a fitness philosophy and, um, like that wasn't a number one priority for me, but definitely as I matured and also just learning more getting more certifications, um, and just reading, honestly, reading is so important, especially when you work in the fitness industry, because this is an industry that changes all the time. What you thought yesterday, two days later has been proven differently. No, this is yes. what's actually factual. So keeping up with like what is coming out as well, um, has really helped me mature and develop into the trainer that I am today. Like these past couple of years, I feel like I've grown so much as a trainer in the best way possible. That is awesome. I always tell people, don't be married to ideas, especially in this field because, and it's, it's humbling, but now that I've gotten comfortable with it, it's in my opinion, it's fun. Right. And I'm not just the person that I'm like, I just throw something out when I read one article with 10 subjects that proves it, but it's like, Hey, if it's going this way, and that means if I adopt it, it's going to be beneficial for my clients. Why wouldn't I change my mind? Exactly. So the biggest way to do it, and I think this isn't to throw shade at anyone or to insult or anything, but I really think the biggest thing with that comes with ego. And like you mentioned, reading, right? Yes. You, ha- I hear people all the time say, I don't like to read. I don't, and I get it. Sometimes reading can be a chore, especially exercise science. Re- like, Absolutely. Oh my God. Medical and it's science-based. Like your yeah. terminology is medical and science-based through and through. Right. But you have to keep up. You have to, even if it's just like in your, your, you know, your narrow window of what you specialize in, right? Because if you don't, you're going to be that professor, that PE coach, that's like saying that old myth, which we're going to be breaking, right? That old myth 
that it's like, bro, that was 10 years ago. Like, are you keeping up? And here's the thing too. And this is one thing that I'm working on. The textbooks that we learn in college, like there's things I learned in college. Respect my professors, brilliant people. I stand on on the shoulders of giants, all that stuff. And they say great things. But a lot of the stuff they teach in the textbooks goes back to, you know, five, 10 plus years where it hasn't yeah. been updated. Oh my gosh. I remember being in grad school and we would be like learning something and it'd be the opposite of what I learned in undergrad. I yes. was like, wait, what do I believe? Like what the heck is going on? And that's yeah. kind of when I realized I always knew stuff was changing, but right then and there, like I just got my bachelor's degree. I went right into my master's degree. So I just got my bachelor's degree. Now I'm in my master's degree. First couple of semesters. I'm learning stuff that completely contradicts what I've learned yep. that I just got. So yeah, you're completely right. You always, you always have to be keeping up um, with the research and not just going off one article. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. And even if like we had a few good professors, like I remember some professors be like, Hey y'all, I made some updates to this research that's yeah. been out this week and I changed my PowerPoint and here's the update. I'm like, oh wow, that's really cool. We're not in college anymore. Right. So no one's no one's doing that yeah. for us. Um, yeah. we can keep up with some I keep up with a lot of people on social media. Like I yeah. try to follow a lot of doctors, a lot of people in the field that'll pump content out and then I can, oh, where's the resource? Oh, let me go exactly. read it. But you got to do it all on your own now, man. Yeah. So that's highly so if you're listening, start reading. Right. I'll actually put a link below. Um, have you ever used Sci-Hub? No, I've used, have you heard of Mass? M-A-S-S? Yes. Yes. By, uh, is it Greg Knuckles? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love Greg yeah, Knuckles. I'm stronger great. by science. They, yes. Every month they'll just send you current research. It's awesome. You don't even have to, I mean, you, if you want to, but I trust the people that are sending me the articles. Um, but they just send you like, they just feed you articles every month. It's amazing. That's awesome. So Sci-Hub, I don't, I believe I might've mentioned this before, but I'll make sure to put the link down in the description. Sci-Hub is a, how do I even say this? It's a web browser that's job or their mission is to break the barrier to entry for information between the public. A lot of publications, and I understand, you know, the people want to make their money, the people got to get their money, but a lot of like almost every single article costs like 10 to $15 yeah. for a subscription. So like, if you were someone who is an avid reader or just trying to like, you know, read once a month, like you're paying like a subscription to do so for one organization or one author. Sci-Hub wanted to break that barrier. And what they do is I would say, in my experience from 90 to 95% of any article, not just exercise science, if you copy the URL or the title and put it into Sci-Hub, it'll find the article for you for free as a downloadable PDF. So I'll put that down. If y'all are struggling, if you're typing in stuff and you're like, Damien, I can't read it. It costs money. No more excuses. <laughs> awesome. And that's kind of a good transition because I want to start talking about grad school. Um, grad school, I think, is something that it's very important to outline, you know, when is it appropriate to go to grad school or, you know, cause I know sometimes it just becomes something where they're like, well, I guess that's the next step. It's like, mm-hmm. so this is what I'm doing, but it's good to outline, like, here's some advice on what you can do here. What might be a good reason why or why not to go through. So I want to kind of go through some of that with you. So 
first, can you kind of just talk about like your GA position in general, like what it was, your experience, all that fun stuff? Yeah. So I was a teaching assistant and what I did was teach, there was a exercise physiology lecture, which we were talking about a little bit. I taught the lab portion. So we'd have a lecture on like hormones or like lactate threshold, heart, resting heart rate. And then we do a lab right after. So like submaximal testing, VO2 max testing, lactate threshold testing, pulmonary testing, a lot of testing. Um, and that was really it. The ex-phys labs were very time consuming, so they didn't um, make you do anything else. Um, we each taught like four sections. We split it in half. So I taught four and then the other GA taught four sections. There were like two hours, a lot of grading because we have to grade lab reports, mm -hmm. um, quizzes. Um, so yeah, that's really all I did as my like GA portion. That's what I did um, in grad school. Nice. And what made you initially want to go into it? Was it because you thought you were going to go down the ex-phys route long-term? I didn't have a choice. They said, hey, Aubrey, you're going to teach the ex-phys labs. And I said, okay. you're <laughs> <laughs> And then, I mean, hey, it helps you, you know, it's a good opportunity because it does help with paying for school. It does yeah. help with, and then, you know, for any field, especially in our field, master's degree definitely opens more doors for sure. Yes. Yeah. It helped with, it helped a lot with my public speaking. I used to have major anxiety with like speaking in front of people um, and group fitness and teach like being a teaching assistant helped a lot with that. As gotcha. well. So that was great. Like not related to school, but it helped me a lot in that aspect. What was your favorite thing to teach? Um, hmm, I, Ooh, that's a hard one. No pressure. Hormones is a, is a love hate because hormones are tricky, but at the same time, it's cool to like that, you know, hormones. Cause there's, so yeah, many. it's yeah. a complicated one. Cause it's not, that's not a black and white one either. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I love, um, like the energy systems. I feel like I know way too much about the Krebs cycle. Recite the Krebs cycle right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, if you asked me to do that, oh God, I think I'd just have, I'd be like, hey, Aubrey, I'm sorry, I lost you. Uh, let me just exit out of this. You know, quick. in grad school, we had to literally like write down the Krebs cycle, like on a piece of paper. <laughs> For those who don't understand, we're like, shouldn't you guys know that? Of course, you gave me like five minutes to look it up and take my time. I could grasp the concept, but it's one of those like exercise science, like models that's just, it's rough, man. It's like the bane <laughs> of every ex phys students exactly, existence yeah. awesome very very cool now when you were let's say you're talking to someone who's thinking about going to GA school right what's kind of like some advice or pointers you would give for them <laughs> while they're thinking about going through this process um well when you're an undergrad it's important that you're getting good grades in your classes um, making some sort of impression on your professors is a plus. It's not necessary, but it's a plus. So mm -hmm. definitely thinking about that, having certifications going into uh, or applying for a GA position, I think is helpful as well. Um, and you're, I personally, I don't think that GRE scores matter too much for grad school. I had really good grades. Um, and I got like the bare, I literally got the bare minimum that you need on the and I'm <laughs> five, so. my, uh, my girlfriend gave me like the book 
And like, I had tried to read as much as I could in a couple of weeks, yes. you know? And it's like, unless you memorize that, you can like do a decent job, I guess, if you understand, like, you're better off understanding the format of the test and what, and how to like know what questions are asked, like the style of the question yeah. and actually studying. Cause you're not going to, you know, the, the reading comprehension is like, you know, if you're in Florida, you've done FCAT, you're going to know it or you're not. Like, there's not much yeah. you can do about that. Um, math is math. If you learned it in college and high school, you did. If you didn't, I don't know how much more you can practice. Yeah. But like the definition part, dude, like, unless you memorize the dictionary, I don't know how you're supposed to know those words. That part was so <laughs> annoying because it on, I, me and Keandre were, because we were, I think we were taking our GREs at the same time, maybe. And we were like, these can't be real words. <laughs> and there's no like prefix or I forgot what the end of the word is, the suffix. Yeah, yeah. Like to tell like what, like give me a clue what it could be. Yes. And those weren't in there. So I'm like, these cannot be real words. <laughs> Imagine if it was like true or false. Is this a real word or not? I'd be sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the GRE is one of the things I tell people like, look at what the school requires. Aim for that. If you don't, don't think like I need to retake it because that is, unless the school says explicitly, like this is a hard cutoff. You need this, right? Yeah. I know PT school, sometimes they may be like yeah. that. Yeah. If you're going to professional school yeah. program, a GRE is going to matter for sure. But they look at other things too. Like, you know, what are your extracurriculars? Did you yeah. have a job, right? Like, yeah. were you doing other things? Do you have certifications and yeah. your grades from undergrad? So there's a bunch of other things in the general GA world I would focus on then like I have to do good or I have to like maximize this one test. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, with the GRE, I think I just rented a book. I was like a little bit through. I was like, nope, this isn't going to work for me. I just winged it. And then I got like literally the minimum that you needed and I was fine. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, has grad school and the stuff you learned or maybe some skills you developed being a TA, um, has that impacted your personal training at all? Yeah, for sure. Like the public speaking um, and just speaking with others um, developed that skill so much. I think I owe majority of my relationship or being able to build rapport. Do you remember they would talk about rapport all the time? At I still talk about it ad nauseum. <laughs> yeah, yes. So I feel like a lot of that skill came from um, teaching classes, honestly, and teaching really hard stuff up there. Like you have to talk, you have to teach physiology to, yeah. to undergrad kids. Like this is how they're going to learn this stuff. So I was like, well, if I can talk about this, I could talk about anything to anyone. That's actually a really good point. It's communication, yeah. right? Yeah. Like for those ex-phys students, like, yeah, they got the biology, they got the phys, they got all that stuff, but. A lot of that content is going to be either expanded upon or introduced in a new context. So it is a foundation for the rest of their exercise science career. Exactly. So can I take this complex, somewhat new concept or pathway or whatever and give it to young professionals that maybe don't know much about or haven't really gotten it yet? And can I convey it to them and can they yep. understand it? Exactly. Yep. And that's with clients, right? Giving them a exercise or, you know, you're giving them homework. And it's like, can I explain it to them in, you know, simple jargon so that way they get the point across? Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. Cool. What would you say is your favorite 
part of your GA experience or like your most memorable moment if you have one? Um, I would say the other GAs, honestly, I feel like I had way more fun socially in grad school than I did in undergrad. Um, so on, I would honestly say that was my favorite part. Also teaching classes, obviously you have classes that you kind of dread, but you, at the same time, you have those classes where the students are awesome, great personalities, like really good kids are going to go really far. Mm -hmm. So that was also really rewarding to me a lot of like up and coming professionals, like, yeah, you're gonna, I'm gonna see your name one day in the future. That was really awesome to see. I, this kind of ties in that because a lot of our friends went to grad school, but especially like that last semester, you know, like spring 2018, we got some killer, we got some killers on our, on our staff, man. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised. In fact, I'm expecting because I have high expectations and our friends are very, bright experience great personality people that they're going to be known in the industry Absolutely. i mean they're already some of them are already there to some capacity but it's going to be oh you know morgan sunderland dpt you know keandre mize did i say his last name correct i'm sorry i haven't said it in so long maze maze i always <laughs> want to say mize or maze keandre maze like dpt you're going to know yeah. this kid's name he's going to yeah. be speaking at conferences like and I just can't wait to when we all do a reunion photo. It's like, remember where we were. <laughs> yes. Great stuff. Now, the part that I'm most excited about. You ready to bust some myths? I am ready to bust some myths. So as I mentioned, Aubrey and I got a top three, right? This is like ESPN highlights right here. Ones that we could think about kind of right now that are just really like grinding our gears. Like when we hear mm -hmm. them, when we think about them. So Aubrey, I'll let you start. We'll just do your three. We'll do one at a time. We'll chime in on them and then I'll do my three after you. So what's the first one you got? First one is eating after a certain time is going to cause weight gain. Can I tell you <laughs> at least once a week, I have to explain this to someone. So eating after a certain time will not cause weight gain gain let's get that out of the way your body is not like oh my gosh it's 8 p.m and you just had a pop tart you're gonna gain 10 pounds tonight like it doesn't work that way but aubrey my metabolism doesn't it slow down at night no <laughs> <laughs> put that in quotes folks N -O. no no you know what i've been doing recently is when Someone says something to me like metabolism or hormones. Hormones is a really it big, is a big one. Too. I thyroid. Like, like why or how? Like how or why? Mm -hmm. And usually you you don't get anything back. So that is um, like kind of like how I weed out. Like, are you telling me something that you really know about, or did you just hear this like off of Instagram or something? Yeah, it's just asking why or how. But yeah. Eating after a certain time is not going to cause weight gain. Weight gain is caused by a calorie surplus. If you eat at 9 p.m. and that meal puts you in a calorie surplus, you that will cause weight gain. But if you're eating at 8 p.m., you're still within your calorie goal. It's not going to cause weight gain. I always say calcium. It may it is scientifically that simple, but it's a lot more complicated, right. than that, of course. And I love that too because I think what that myth perfect perfectly outlines is how most myths get popular, right? So here's what happens. People 
eat at night or they night binge. This is a common thing, right? I'm hungry at night. I go into the fridge. I have a tub of ice cream. And then it's, oh, well, your metabolism is extremely slow at night or it's slower. Listen, maybe it's a little slower because our metabolism fluctuates throughout the day, but it's not significantly slower to the point where it's like you're conserving hundreds of extra calories at night, right? It's so minuscule that probably doesn't matter. Or if it did, it's like the last thing that matters out of a hundred other things, right? Right. So people look at these other things that are true. It's like, well, I'm eating more calories at night because my behavioral patterns or I'm busy throughout the day. And so I'm starving at night. And then most of my calories come at night or I'm stressed at night. My anxiety is high at night. And therefore I go to my pattern of behavior, which is eating at night. And then people take, oh, eat at night, gain weight. Right. That's what happens, I think, with a lot of myths, right? There's a, there's a kernel of truth in there, but it's attributed yes. to the wrong thing. Yes. I, that happens all the time. You take a chunk out and you put in another article, but nobody else gets to see what else was in that original source yes. um, information. It happens all the time. Yep. So that one's short and sweet to the point. I, yeah. I love hearing about that one. I, I feel like it's dying a little bit, but I still do hear it every now and again. Usually just general population. It's like pseudo people on Instagram, like don't, you know, eat between the hours of two and 4 p.m. Yeah. only. And it's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people, they're like, do you fast? I'm like, yeah, I fast. Every night I go to bed and every morning I wake up and I don't eat between them. That's my fast. Bro. <laughs> exactly. Um, what's your next one you got? Um, keto is the answer for weight loss. This one was dormant in my mind for like maybe three or four months. I'm sorry. I, I PTSD. I'm sorry. No, I it's not you. Literally one of my <laughs> clients last week, um, I was like, she was talking to me about, about keto and I was like, well, keto is not the answer for everything. She's like, it actually is. And I was like, oh, here we go. I'll have to deal with this one again. Mm, boy, listen, <laughs> but I think that keto gets such a, like a gold star because there's a lot of success or you see a lot of success with keto. There's also people who don't have success with keto, but we don't yeah. hear a lot about that. No, you don't. Um, but essentially with the ketogenic diet, right? You're taking out carbohydrates, which makes up like, it's like 40 to 60, 65% of your calories. That is a huge chunk of calories that you take out of your day. So, or even out of your week, your month, whatever. So mm-hmm. you're making it a lot easier for you to be in a calorie deficit. That is why you probably will see a higher success with the ketogenic diet. It's easier for people to be in a calorie deficit. However, on the same hand, it's very easy to not be in a calorie deficit on the ketogenic diet. I think people think that just you being in the on the ketogenic diet, that is what causes you to lose weight. So they're like, you can eat whatever or, on that yeah, diet. cheese, butter, cheesecake. Like they just eat everything. Yeah. That is literally going to cause you're going to gain weight. If you're eating in an uh, extreme excess of calories and you're completely defeating the point of being on a ketogenic diet. Yes. The, uh, Hannah Thompson and, um, Emily on the upbeat dietitians, they talk about this and great detail. And I think we actually talked about it too on, on one of my podcasts with them. Um, but keto is one of those things again, right? So people do it, they get success anecdotally. And to be fair, it can work, but it's not yeah, working right. because it's, it's the mechanism that it's saying, right. With the ketones right. and everything right. it's working because if you do studies comparing people, they have to be in a calorie deficit. If you match calories, nothing changes. Exactly. 
And then on top of that, a big thing that I, I love when Hannah Thompson outlines this is two things. First thing is when you cut out carbohydrates, right? Okay, you're cutting out a macronutrient, maybe the, the fat and protein go up a little bit, but it's not comparable. Proteins high in satiety, you're getting full really easily. Okay. A lot of the weight that you're losing initially is probably water weight. Absolutely. They're called carbohydrates. Yes. So you're losing. So if you measure someone in a, in a, you know, through um, biological impedance, or like an in-body analysis, I'd be curious to see if you're losing more so water weight as opposed to the claim of losing body fat instead. Yeah. yeah I hundred percent agree with you. Your initial weight loss. I believe most of it is going to be water weight. Yeah. That's, that's a big thing. And then the second thing too, is your body is very smart. Meaning when you cut out a macronutrient, your body, cause your body still does use glucose. Of course it can use fat as fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course it, in, in rare instances, it can use protein as well, but that is not a efficient or recommended method. So it relies purely on fat, but it also needs carbohydrates for certain things like, you know, certain pathways where carbohydrates required your body can convert other macronutrients to carbohydrate. Yep. You know, X is major. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Gluconeogenesis, right? Hey, I don't have carbohydrate. We got a lot of fat over here. Maybe some excess protein. Can I just like do some stuff here and convert it to carbohydrate? Sure. Exactly. Body, go ahead. Exactly. That's a thing. Yeah. So even though you think you're, and yes, you can enter that state of ketosis, right? We know that through blood work and stuff, but you're still technically producing, I guess you could say internal carbohydrate in a sense. Is that, is that how you would clean it from like an exercise phys perspective? Yeah. You essentially are still using carbohydrates for energy. You're converting fat to carbohydrate. So essentially you are still using, um, carbohydrates for energy. I think actually that made me think of something. The idea of the ketogenic diet is that people think that the reason you lose weight is because you're burning fat for energy. Mm-hmm. And maybe they associate that with burning like subcutaneous fat. Like that is why you start to get slimmer is because mm-hmm. your subcutaneous fat is getting burned. And that's not necessarily what is happening when you're on the ketogenic diet. Yeah. It might just be like, cause if you're in maintenance, it's like your body's just going to do what it does. If you're yeah. losing weight, it's probably water for a good portion of it. And then if you are in a deficit, of course, some body fat and maybe a little muscle mass can be associated with that. So you would have lost weight the same way anyway, if you were in a calorie exactly. deficit. Exactly. It's not like your body's like literally burning fat. Like that's not what's happening. Right. And I think that's why I got big in the beginning was like, there was that, you know, body composition. Right. Thing to it. It's like, well, okay, maybe it's not the healthiest long-term, but like maybe in the short term, I can get a really good change. My body composition. That would be really awesome. But yeah doesn't seem to hold up. <laughs> yeah. But that goes to show the importance of reading as we've been talking about, yes. because if you do read the research, you put someone on a keto giant, inter- keto diet, intermittent fasting, just a regular diet and a calorie deficit, they're all pretty much going to get the same results. As long as they're matched for calories. Exactly. Boom. Miss can't stand us. Last one. <laughs> Bring it home, Aubrey. What you got? Um, last one. I forgot it. Oh, you'll get the same. Oh, this one is important. You'll get yes. the same physique um, as an Instagram influencer or whatever fitness enthusiast you follow. Fitness enthusiast is an important term there. Um, if you do the same workouts or buy their program, there are so many things to consider when you are 
looking at someone as your fitness inspiration or you're looking at someone as I'm going to do this so that I can look at them. Number one, genetics. I know Mm -hmm. people hate hearing that, but it's true. Genetics. It's true. Number two, you don't know how long they've been training and you don't know what their mode of training could be. They could have been doing strength training for years. They decided they don't like strength training anymore. Now they're doing more so high intensity workouts. They're still going to have a, um, toned or muscular physique. They just are doing a different mode of exercise. Now, um, you don't know what their lifestyle is like. We're personal trainers. We're moving all the time. We're going to have a higher total daily energy expenditure than someone who's an accountant. Yeah. Um, their diet, you don't know how many calories they consume per day. You don't know what those calories are consisted of and not to mention angles, makeup, flattering clothes. Um, a lot of people, they're only showing you what they want you to see. So you really have to keep that in mind. Don't forget too. I'm not saying that every influencer does this, but the power of editing and and perspective, right? Like you don't know, like if this person with a million followers, if they're doing editing on their photo, I mean, at the very least Instagram has editing and like, bam, it can do a lot just with the tools on it. So you don't think they're being airbrushed up. You don't think that lighting is being done just perfectly on the beach side. Like, and like you said, like people look at your highlight reel and think that is their reality 24 seven. I personally, people shit on it. I don't know why, whatever, but when people show like, Hey, here's what I look like in a photo Photoshop or not like, here's what I look like, you know, I haven't eaten yet. I went to the bathroom. I just did a great workout. They're like jacked, ripped, you know, veins popping. It's like, here's what I look like after a Chipotle burrito. And you're like, Oh, like that doesn't look too different from me. Like, wow. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's times where we don't look like Instagram models if we are ones. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think that also on the same hand, us maybe being fitness professionals, we're supposed to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really like not the case for a lot of people. Like not everyone is like super shredded, like to be super shredded. That takes like um, a hard effort. You have to like maintain being that physique and that's not realistic for a lot of people. So um, just cause you're not super shredded doesn't mean you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> May not even be our goal. Like Yes. I know for a fact, again, this is where genetics comes in. Like I, I could get decently lean, but I know that I struggle to put large amounts of muscle mass on. Yeah. Uh, that's just how my genetic makeup works. Um, but just because I'm not super shredded doesn't mean I couldn't work towards looking that way. It's right. just, it's not my goal. It's not my intention. Happy. Yeah, exactly. So people are like, Oh, like he isn't in the gym or he couldn't help a client with body recomposition. That's not true. That's just not how I look. Right. And it is unfortunate because it seems like, you know, and I understand it. Like, you know, you, at the very least, a trainer should walk the walk, right? Be a role model. It's like, I exercise, I do resistance training, cardiovascular exercise. I practice what I preach. I think that right there, if you're doing that, I think that's like awesome. Yes. I agree with you. I, I think it's really important for being able to empathize with your clients as well and relate to them. If you are having a client do an exercise and maybe it doesn't feel right to them. Think you can kind of imagine yourself. Well, when I do this exercise, like what makes me feel that way? I think it's important yeah. for empathizing with your clients to also walk the walk with them. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Boom. Three miss check, check and check. 
we're going to get into mine now. And like I mentioned, Aubrey and I just kind of threw these at each other before the podcast. We didn't discuss them. So I'm curious to see Aubrey's perspective on the ones I got now. I actually forgot what you... Perfect. So it's like the first time. Like off the top. (laughs) Let's go. So myth number one. You need to be perfect with your form and attempt every time you do any kind of lift. And especially if you're a beginner, this is one of those areas of research that seems to be changing quite rapidly. And that I'm excited very, about. Yeah, very cool. Yes, I'm sure you hear Keandre talk about it quite a bit. Yeah, this is actually, we were learning this toward the, this and also with stretching, which I think you have on. Is that one yes. of your? Yes. The end of my grad program, I was hearing more about it. Awesome. So, yeah. TLDR, right? Basically, the previous way of thinking, I would categorize it into the supple leopard kind of thinking. For those who have not read the book, um, supple leopard kind of takes the, I guess you could say the biomechanics or anatomical perspective when it comes to lifting. And again, not to throw any shade, the author is a, a very brilliant man. It's just, I have a disagreement with his perspective on this particular issue, which is your body more or less works well when it is aligned in a particular way, meaning that the joints are stacked perfectly, your posture you know, follows that plumb line or like you know, from ear to shoulder to hip yeah. to ankle to knee, right? Everything is in line because if it's in line when you stand or in our context, when you lift, the forces can be dispersed as evenly as possible across the body structures, whether it's bone, soft tissue, or muscle, therefore equal tension, equal distribution of force, less likelihood to be injured. That's what I was taught in college for the most part as well. And it does make sense. Here's the thing. Number one, you are not a machine. What I mean by that, I always use the example of a car. I apologize to my mechanics who are listening. If, if I'm using the analogy and correct me, but bear with me, right? If a car has a misalignment and one wheel starts wearing improperly, that is a bad thing. Why? Because if my car is wearing unevenly, it's going to affect my steering. It's going to affect other, you know, maybe the rotor or other mechanisms of the vehicle that's going to make the performance and the safety of the car a problem, right? Because the other thing too is cars don't repair themselves. I have to go to a mechanic, a surgeon, and he has to go in and fix the vehicle and fix the issue to bring it back to alignment. The human body is not a machine. We are organic creatures. We adapt to our environment. We are actually built to adapt to our environment. Nothing in your environment too is symmetrical, right? We've kind of made in our world, our man-made world, we've made it more symmetrical, but no matter where you are, the ground you walk on, right? is not gonna be perfect. The air you breathe is not gonna be perfect, right? You're one side dominant versus the other. Most of us are right-hand dominant. Some of us are left-hand dominant, right? We have imbalances everywhere in our life. Lifting is no different. Now, I'm not talking about, right? This is a spectrum of, of things, right? I'm not talking about egregious things, right? Where like your knees are touching in a squat for a wonder at max. From a safety perspective, that's probably not the best thing. But when it comes to lifting in general, your ability to handle forces, your muscles' ability to contract against forces, your body's ability to disperse them in a manner that is safe for you, 
you adapt that over time. So if someone lifts with a narrow squat stance, and that's how they trained all their life, there you said, versus someone who trains with a wider stance and toes turned out, someone might train with a little bit of a knee collapse, someone might train their deadlift with a slightly rounded back. They have adapted to that pattern. And for them, it's probably the more efficient way to move because their body has organized themselves to move that way. There's a couple of cues you want to make sure just from a biomechanic standpoint, it makes sense, right? The squat, you're not going to be very efficient if your feet aren't flat, nor right. will you be balanced. The bar should be over your midfoot so you can produce the most force. You're going to be more so upright as opposed to a deadlift. So that way you can stay balanced. And again, force production, that's the kind of the reoccurring theme. But if I check off those boxes, and unless I see something egregious where the client is like, you know, in danger of getting hurt, I'm not going to change a whole lot of things. And it's okay if from rep to rep, it looks a little bit different yeah. because to, to be able to repeat a task identical every single time is not going to happen. We don't see it in the highest athletes in the world where they have uneven strides. They have strides that don't replicate from cycle to cycle. Um, we see it in gen pop population where their squats look different from rep to rep. And what it's showing in the research is that that might actually be a good thing from an overuse perspective meaning your body has different strategies to accomplish the same lift without overdoing the same muscles or same pattern over and over and over again. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Aubrey, <laughs> do you have anything to kind of add to that or anything that you've learned about regarding that topic? Um, well, you explained it really well. I completely agree with you. Um, in shorter terms, I'm like very like, work smarter, not harder, very straightforward. I'm like, one, does it hurt you? Two, do I feel like you could be injured in the way that you're doing this lift? Three, are you still um, using the muscles that you're supposed to be using during this exercise? If everything checks off, that's all that I need. Boom. I love it. And yeah, I wouldn't expect, because we're so anatomically different, you know, from person to person, I wouldn't expect it to look identical either. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Check on that one. Next, I talk about static stretching quite frequently. If you don't stretch, you're going to get hurt, right? So static stretching, it's kind of, it's an old one. I think it's getting more attention on like the benefits mm -hmm. or versus the, maybe the miss with it. But the thought used to be, hey, if you feel tight or you think you're tight, you need to stretch. If you don't stretch, that muscle is going to get pulled. If it gets pulled, you're going to get injured. However, what we're seeing in the research is that Overall, just like, you know, TLDR, like static stretching doesn't seem to have any implication outside of like some very, very specific context for preventing injury. Yeah. Um, it gives a transient effect of pain reduction and increased range of motion. Right. But it's, it's specific to the stretch and it usually doesn't last past the 24 to maybe 48 hours if you did a very long stretch. What yeah. you know about that, Aubrey? Yeah, I completely agree. I think that um, stretching, I honestly don't find it to be necessary unless it's going to honestly help your range of motion in some way. If you come to me and you like can't even get past your knees on a deadlift, like that is an issue. Mm -hmm. But if your mobility is fine, if I go to like do a manual hamstring stretch with you and your ankle is by your ear, like there's no purpose for me to be doing this stretch for you. So I think it's person by person, need by need. Um, do you, are you tight? Do you feel uncomfortable? Yes. Mm -hmm. Stretch? No, 
leave it alone. Maybe later on in the week or the next week, you'll feel like you need to get that stretch. And on the opposite side, I think stretching before workout has also been frowned upon for Mm -hmm. a long time, but if stretching your calves, I'm just thinking about myself, like my calves are very tight hip um, flexors that super tight stretching those beforehand if it helps me during my workout um i'm gonna do it because it's gonna help me during my workout exactly it, it does that you know with static stretching prior it's usually used for like force production right yeah. it can lower your if you do it can lower like it's usually done with sprint times yeah. um but i used to do the same thing a lot where it's like well maybe my force goes down a little bit maybe not at all but I can get deeper in my squats. That's what I want as my goal. What's really cool is that what we're seeing in some of the research is what might even be better than static stretching for like lifting purposes, like range of motion or mobility in a lift is actually just doing the lift itself. And maybe even doing a, I guess you could say a loaded static stretch, meaning let's say my goal is to get deeper in a squat. Number one, practicing squatting is going to help you get better with it because it's a skill. Your body will get comfortable and your nervous system will agree with your body and say, okay, you can do this thing. But static stretching in a squat, I have no load. If I want to make actual changes to my body, you got to load it. So if I get in my squat, hold the bar or like a, you know, light to moderate weight and sit in that position, that would make more sense because it's, you know, a specific and now it's loaded. Yes, absolutely. Even using bands too. Bands yeah. are going to pull in the opposite direction of what you're trying to stretch. That helps a lot as well. Third and final. This one is, I think, actively in the conversation. There's a lot going on with obesity right now in literature and culture. So we're going to keep seeing this one for a while. But there's always pushback. And that myth that I want to bust is people who are obese are lazy. I'll be the, I made a post about this. I took a a screenshot of Luka Doncic from, from the Mavs and I took his face and I made a quote. It's like, Oh, when people say, you know, obese people are lazy, yada, yada, yada. Um, And I kind of broke that down if you want to check that out, but kind of the moral of the story, I will always, always advocate for personal responsibility for people doing what they can to better themselves for mental fortitude, I will always advocate for those things. But if you're going to advocate for that, you also have to look at the other side of the equation. And that is what other factors are in this person's life, biological, psychological, and social that are impacting their ability to make change. That's the best way I can say it. Can everyone make a change to be healthier? Absolutely. Based on their life, what are the chances that they'll make that change. If it's a 1% chance, he was like, you still got a chance. Yeah, but what's the likelihood? Right. So if we don't identify those barriers, those other factors that are impeding their likelihood of making a change, we're just sitting there arguing at that point. So are there lazy people? Of course there's lazy people. I'm lazy sometimes, right? But to boil that down, such a complex thing as obesity and say, you're just lazy. That's not going anywhere. Yes. I also think it's not really showing compassion for the person. No. Like you said, you have no idea what factors are affecting them right now. 
behavioral? Do they have some type of um, behavior change that needs to be made or worked on? Environmental? Do they have access to a gym? Do they have access to um, like fruits and vegetables? Yeah. Considered healthy food? Um, what do they do for a living? Like, are they working all day to the point where they don't even have time to come home and cook a dinner or work out? There's so many things to consider. Um, and you see like on the outside, but you have no idea what's going on the inside. You have no idea what's going on with that person's life. So to make that assumption, I feel like is not showing compassion. It's very rude. Um, and I don't, it's not helping the situation at all. The person does not need to feel, you don't need to make someone feel bad about themselves. Right. And, you know, people say like, oh, well, they need a reality check. They need the truth. And there's a way to be truthful and compassionate. I talk about that all the time. Yeah. And the last thing is, you know, that style of like, I guess, tough love, as people call it, like that works from like psychology 101. That works for such a small amount of people. Yeah. There's that person that's like, you know what? I really needed a reality check and a kick in the ass. And that made me yeah. change. And then they take that. And that's like the poster child, right? It's like, I was told yeah. I'm fat and I just got sick of it. And I lost yeah. the weight. It's like, you're one person. Yeah. You're, most people do not respond positively to that type of behavior. And honestly, putting that or being that way towards um, someone who is obese, that's not encouraging either. Like, why would no. they want to go out there and go to the gym if they have a fear that they're going to be judged when they go to the gym. That's not helping the situation at all. Speaking anecdotally, it's one of the number one reasons I know my clients and people I speak to don't go to the gym. Yes, me it's too. It's fear of, of judgment. Yes. Even if it's perceived and people aren't, of course, there's going to be people judge you whether we want to or not that we can't control. But it's the perception that people are going to judge me because of how I, I've heard people talk to me in the past. Cause yeah. they usually always have a bad experience, at least yeah. one. So that is creating more barriers and it's, it's exactly. <laughs> people don't realize it's doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. Yeah. We need more empathy. Yes. Honestly, more. and empathy is the way to go. Yep. I think that's a great way to put a ball on this thing. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, for sure. Great Thank message. you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on or for coming on. It was yeah. really good to catch up and talk with you. Um, we'll keep sending this to each other, make sure, you know, we get some good laughs over the next couple of weeks. Um, do you want to uh, plug anything? Do you do any, uh, are you currently taking any clients? Where, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, currently taking clients. I turn out raw fitness and Boca Raton. My Instagram is lift weights, eat food at lift weights, eat food um, shoot me a DM on there. Also doing online coaching. So yeah, just shoot, shooting me a DM on Instagram. There you go. And if you liked anything that Aubrey said, like I said, go ahead and check her out. She also has great content on Instagram. Please go show her some love really good, you know, for exercise demonstration, or just kind of like giving y'all some science background into specific topics, highly recommend checking her out there. And of course, you know, Shift Method, we're always bringing content. Y'all know where to find me, Instagram and TikTok at the underscore shift underscore method. Got some entertaining and science-based stuff for y'all there. If you're interested in personal training, remember, I am at Johnny O's Gymnasium in Boca Raton, Florida. So if you'd like to do in-person buddy or group training, just let me know. We can train there. I also do online services like Aubrey. I do program design and virtual one-on-one training. If you're interested in any of that, just head over to the shiftmethod.org. 
click any of the take action buttons, fill out a client intake form, and I'll reach out to you within 48 hours. And of course, the ship method store is still open, people. Don't forget about that. You can get a cool shirt like Aubrey's got on right there. That's one of many items we got. We got shirts, shorts, pants, mugs, you name it. We probably got it. Go ahead and check that out. That is also at theshiftmethod.org. Click the store tab and get whatever you need. Aubrey, thank you so much again, my dude. It was a pleasure seeing you. Yes, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I was like, when am I going to get on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you can check that off the bucket list now. Yes. You are good to go. You have a wonderful night, all right? You too. Thanks, Damien. See you, everyone.